Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we are looking ahead to what's going to take place here in March. And Father, I want to ask your richest blessings on that class and on the teachers of that class, on the participants of that class. I just pray, Father, that this will be a class that will impact lives, that will draw people closer to you, also that will draw people closer to each other. I pray, Father, that relationships will be formed so that people will know that they're not walking alone, that they have others to walk along beside them as they strive to serve you. And Father, we just look forward to the people that you're going to bring in to our midst to be a part of that. And just pray, Father, your richest blessings on them as well. Father, be with us this morning as we spend time in your word. We just pray, Father, that we will be people who deeply treasure your word, people who love your word, people who obey your word. We just pray, Father, as a result of what we do here this morning, that we will also be drawn closer to you and to each other. And Father, we pray this through the name of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, as most of you know, by now, I hope, and there's banners uh, uh, up front here that will help remind us, our 2015 Netherwood Park theme is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring our theme together in greater depth. And today, we'll end our series about our theme by focusing on Joshua's bold declaration Many parts of his declaration are bold, but one of the things that seems boldest to me is the fact that he said that he would serve the Lord, but he also said that his house, his household, would serve the Lord. He said, as for me and my house. But before we do that, I want to take just a minute to look ahead. Look ahead at our next sermon series, which will begin next week. If you'll look at the front of your bulletin, you'll find more details about that sermon series. You'll find a schedule about what things are going to look like over the next 12 weeks here at Netherwood Park. We'll be in the book of James. We'll be studying that book. What I'd like to encourage everybody to do in the next week is sit down and read the book of James. Read the entire book. That may sound more daunting than it really is. It's not a very long book. I think it's something that we can all do. But if you would read that, that would help us as next week we, we dive into James and start studying it in more detail. Please come next week and the weeks to come, prepare to be challenged by James. Prepare to be challenged to serve God, not just by hearing his word, but to do his word. Be challenged by James not to just believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to serve Jesus Christ by living his gospel. And that's what we'll be focused on over the next 12 weeks. And we'll see that like Joshua, James is going to call on us to make commitments. Commitments that we will. Commitments that we will serve God. And we have been talking a lot about commitments We've been talking a lot about our theme and the commitments that come out of that theme, and we will be talking about commitments as we look at James. One of the things that I find fascinating about Joshua's public commitment to serve the Lord is that he was bold enough and he was confident enough to make that commitment not only for himself, but also for his household. He made that commitment for his entire household, for his spouse his children, his servants, for all the people who were attached to him and to his household. He said, as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. And if you're like me, when you hear something like that, you may find Joshua's statement just a little bit rash. You might find his statement a little bit reckless, maybe more than bold. You know, it's one thing to make such a significant and profound commitment for yourself, but to stand up and make that commitment for your entire household is something that seems a little bit odd to me. I mean, just who does Joshua think he is? He's committing other people to live lives in service to God. And from our perspective, we might think, well, what about their freedom? What about their choices? And I think that those of us who are parents and those of us who are married or who have been married know that making commitments for our children and making commitments for our spouses isn't exactly a recipe for success. I know that Kathy and I know that my mom and dad and I know that my children have heard words like these come out of my mouth when they've made commitments for me. Words like, you did what? You said I would do what? Don't you think maybe you should have consulted with me first? That's the attitude that we often have when we have other people make commitments for us. I don't know about you, but I naturally resent other people who make commitments for me. I like to think that those commitments are mine to make. I think my attitude is, for me, I will serve the Lord. And I also know that I'm very hesitant to make commitments for others. Maybe especially for my house. Maybe especially for my family. I think oftentimes my commitment, and maybe yours is this way as well, I think it more often goes like this. As for me, I will serve the Lord. As for my house, I hope they will make that same decision. So I think the question for us is, how is Joshua As he nears the end of his life, how is Joshua able to stand up and confidently proclaim that his household will serve the Lord? I think the answer really is fairly simple. I don't think that Joshua is making a commitment for his household about what they're going to do. Instead, I think he's relaying and communicating the commitment that his household has already made. See, Joshua isn't talking about what his house is going to become. Instead, he's talking about what his house already is. Joshua's house is God's house. Joshua's house is already full of God's slaves. And those are the kind of houses that we all want to have. We all want to have houses that are God's houses. We all want to have houses that are full of God's slaves. We'd all like to be able to lay our heads down on the pillow at night knowing that our houses are God's houses. Knowing that our houses are full of God's slaves. So let's spend the rest of our time this morning talking about how we can establish, how we can have those kind of houses. I love the scripture that Anthony preached from last week. He was in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we're going to return to that passage of scripture, that text today. And one of the things that I really love about Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that it clearly articulates the necessity of passing our faith down to the next generation and to the generation after that and the generation after that. And that's a recurring theme in the Bible. 
We see that God has always emphasized the importance of passing our faith down from generation to generation to generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses put it this way. He said, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, Moses was very concerned about passing faith from generation to generation. And like Moses then, our concern today must also be about passing our faith from generation to generation. Just like then, our personal devotion to God and our household's devotion to God doesn't just happen. It's not something that just happens. God has to be on our hearts. He has to be impressed on our children. We have to talk about him when we sit at home and we have to talk about him when we are driving down the road. We have to talk about him when we go to bed at night and when we get up in the morning. See, choosing that we are going to serve God and choosing that our houses are going to serve God doesn't just happen. It's a bold, it's a brave, it's an intentional decision. It's an intentional decision that leads to intentional behavior. It's a choice that we make, and it's a choice that leads to intentional leadership behavior. You see, if devotion to God is going to endure in our houses from generation to generation, for generations to come, it isn't going to just happen. Someone has to be the adult. Someone has to lead. Someone has to be the Joshua and determine that this house, my house, will serve the Lord. It won't just happen, but it can happen. And it will happen if we will lead our houses to serve the Lord. Rick, if you go ahead and pull up the picture of the football fans, you might wonder why I brought these pictures up. There are at least three reasons why I did. One is, in case you don't know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, It is the Seahawks and the Patriots that we'll be playing over in Phoenix, Arizona. The second reason is, is you can never go wrong pulling up pictures of cute kids. That's always pleasing, so that's the second reason I did that. But the real reason that I brought up this picture is to talk about what families do and what families are able to do. See, these pictures illustrate the point that I'm trying to make. 
These babies have parents who have very intentionally made a decision for their house and made a decision for their children. Probably went something like this. I'm sure they stood up and they said, as for me and my house, we will be Seahawks fans. While on the other coast, someone was saying, as for me and my house, we will be Patriots fans. We see that a lot, and it works. There's a very high probability that the baby on the left will grow up to be a Seahawks fan. And there's a very high probability that the baby on the right will grow up to be a Patriots fan. And it doesn't end there. There's also a very high probability that these babies' children will grow up to be Seahawks and Patriots fans. And it won't be because it just happened. It'll be because they were led that way. From their very earliest memories, these babies won't have any doubt that their house is a Seahawk house or that their house is a Patriot house. It isn't a guarantee. We can't be 100% certain that these babies will be lifelong fans of their parents' teams. But their parents have certainly heavily stacked the odds in favor of that happening. It's the principle that we find in Proverbs 22, 6, where it says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, that's a truism. That's not a guarantee. We know that some will rebel, some will turn away. But if we want our houses to follow the Lord, we will make the intentional decision, and we will take intentional actions to make sure that our families, to make sure that our houses, make sure that our children have their very earliest memories and have no doubt that they are in the Lord's house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have to understand that if we don't lead our houses to serve the Lord, we shouldn't be at all surprised when they are led away from the Lord. If we don't lead our houses... Somebody else or something else will lead our houses. And they won't lead them to the Lord. They will lead them away from the Lord. So how do we do that? How do we lead our houses? How do we pass our faith from generation to generation? How can we go to bed at night, lay our heads on the pillow with the confidence that our house will serve the Lord? We'll serve the Lord from generation to generation. To generation. Well, I think the first thing that we have to understand is that me and my house faith begins with begins with me. We can't have any reasonable expectation that our house, our house from generation to generation, will serve the Lord if we aren't servants of the Lord, if we aren't slaves of the Lord. It isn't an accident that Moses, in that passage in Deuteronomy 6, it isn't any accident that he first emphasized the depth of love and commitment that we must have for the Lord. He emphasized that level of commitment before he talked about the importance of impressing that love and commitment on our children. He first said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. 
And then he says, impress them on your children. Me and my house faith begins with me. It begins with my deep and passionate faith. I don't know about you, but I love being around passionate people. Whenever I'm around passionate people, I feel different. Their, their passion is infectious. It's catching. I love that contagious passion that other people have. And if we are going to have me and my house faith, it has to start with our passion. With our passionate relationship with God. A relationship that's marked with love that comes from all of our heart. All of our souls. All of our might. A passionate love for God. That's the kind of passionate relationship that's contagious. It's the kind of passionate relationship that is infectious. And it's the kind of passionate relationship that leads to the next generation. And the next generation after that having a passionate faith themselves. And that passion for God has to extend to God's word. See, in our houses, God's word has to be the final word. God's word has to be our standard. God's word has to inform and drive our decisions and actions. God's word has to mold us and shape us. And if we will allow God's word to do that to us, God's word won't just be my standard. It will also be my house's standard. It will identify not only who I am, it will identify who we are. We'll be able to say, our house is God's house. Our word is God's word. And we love what God loves, and we hate what God hates. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So if we're going to embrace that role, if we are going to make that commitment, that commitment to lead our houses, what kind of leaders will we be? What will our lives look like? What kind of behavior will we model for our houses so that we can have me and my house faith? So this morning I'm going to close with ten characteristics Ten characteristics that me and my house leaders will develop and model so their houses will be infected with that next generation faith. So the first characteristic of me and my house leaders is they are people who love God completely. They are those people who have that passionate love for God. They love God with all their hearts. They love God with all their souls. They love God with all of their strength. They have that contagious love. And if we don't have that kind of passion and depth for God, we simply can't expect our houses from generation to generation to have that kind of love for God. See, as me and my house leaders, we must love God above all else We must love God before all else. Second characteristic of me and my house leaders is they have God's word in their heart and they have God's word on their lips. These are people who don't just know God's word, they love God's word. 
They live His Word. And it's the seasoning of their words. It's always on their lips because it's become a part of their makeup. It's written on their hearts. It's not just something that's on the pages of a book. It's written on their hearts. And if we don't have that kind of relationship with God's Word... We simply can't expect our houses from generation to generation to have it either. So as me and my house leaders, we must have God's word in our hearts. And we must have God's word on our lips. Third characteristic of me and my house leaders. They live faithfully. Notice I didn't say they live perfectly, but they live faithfully. These leaders have a love for God that can be seen in their obedient lives. Echoing what we'll be looking at in James, they don't just hear the word, they do it. They don't just talk about the word, they live it. And because they do it and because they live it, they can honestly stand before their houses and say, do as I say. And do as I do. They have a faithfulness that's most clearly seen within the house. These leaders are promise keepers. They keep their promises to their wives. They keep their promises to their husbands. They keep their promises to their children. They keep their promises to their parents. They keep their promises to their friends. See, these people, their yes is their yes, and their no is their no. And if we aren't faithful to our promises, and if we aren't faithful to our relationships, and if we aren't faithful to our God, we can't expect our houses from generation to generation to be faithful either. Me and my house leaders are faithful leaders. And me and my house leaders aren't just faithful, they also share that faith that they possess. And they share it religiously. They share it at home, they share it on the road. They can't help but speak about their faith because that is their defining characteristic. That's who they are. They're God's servants, they're God's slaves, and they don't try to hide that identity. That's who they are. And if we don't share our faith within our houses, and if we don't share our faith outside our houses, we can't expect our houses from generation to generation to share their faith either. So me and my house leaders will share their faith. Fifth characteristic of me and my house leaders is that they love the church, and they love its people, And they love its leaders. And they love them with all their hearts, and they love them with all their souls, and they love them with all their strength. And they love them that way, not because they're always so lovable, because they're not always so lovable. But they love them that way because they belong to God. It's God's church, it's God's people, it's God's leaders. That's who the church is. You know, one of the things that we spend a fair amount of time lamenting, a fair amount of time wringing our hands over is the legitimate concern that so many of our younger people are leaving the church. 
It's a complicated issue. There are multiple issues that we could address about it, but one thing that I want to address this morning is that if we are concerned about that, one of the things that we need to do is we need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. We need to take a long, hard look at our attitudes that we possess towards the church, towards its people, and towards its leaders. See, if we don't show our house that we love the church, if we don't show our house that we love its people, if we don't show our houses that we love its leaders, how can we possibly expect them to love the church and to love its people and to love its leaders? This doesn't mean we have to ignore the faults of the church and we don't have to ignore the faults of its people and we don't have to ignore the faults of its leaders. They have faults. But we're still to love them deeply and passionately. See, it means that we have to model for our houses grace. We have to show our houses that we love the church and we love its people and we love its leaders in spite of their imperfections. And the reason that we do that is because God loves us in spite of our imperfections. Me and my house leaders will love the church They will love its people, and they will love its leaders. Related to that is the sixth characteristic of me and my house leaders. These leaders are people who assume the best. They assume the best about the church, they assume the best about its people, and they assume the best about its leaders. To put it in another way, they give others the benefit of the doubt. They're willing to attribute mistakes to human failings instead of to malicious motives. Their default reaction isn't criticism. Their default reaction is grace. Grace that is extended from one fallible but forgiven person to other fallible but forgiven people. We need to understand that we can't expect our houses to treat other people with grace from generation to generation if we don't extend grace. Me and my house leaders assume the best. And me and my house leaders forgive. They don't just forgive, they forgive extravagantly. Me and my house leaders forgive even when the offense is great. They forgive even when the offense is frequent. They forgive even when the offense is fresh. They forgive in the same way that they've been forgiven by their God, extravagantly. We need to understand that we can't expect our houses from generation to generation to be forgiving houses if we aren't forgiving leaders. So me and my house leaders will forgive, and they will forgive extravagantly. And me and my house leaders aren't just willing to forgive They're also quick to admit their own wrongs. They're quick to admit and apologize for their own failings. These leaders are able to ask others for forgiveness, or even able to ask their own children for forgiveness when they do something wrong. See, we can't expect our houses to be confessional houses from generation to generation if we aren't willing to confess and apologize and seek forgiveness. 
Me and my house leaders will admit their wrongs and they will apologize freely. And me and my house leaders won't just be generous with their grace and they won't just be generous with their forgiveness and they won't be just generous with their apologies. They'll also give generously of their time and they'll give generously of their resources. These leaders won't let the urgencies of life get in the way of what is important in their lives. Their relationship with God. Their relationship with His church. Their relationship with His word and their relationship with their families. We can't expect generosity out of our houses from generation to generation if we aren't generous. So me and my house leaders will give generously. And finally, me and my house leaders will live joyfully. We will live joyfully. See, our God never intended for his servants to live in misery. He never intended for his slaves to be beaten down. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Jesus lifted the burden of sin, and our response must be joy. We can't expect our houses from generation to generation to crave serving the Lord if we live burdened and joyless lives in front of them. So me and my house leaders will live joyfully in the Lord. So you may be asking yourself, so Walter, who are you talking to? Who should these leaders be? And probably our default reaction is you're talking to husbands and dads, right? My answer is right. I am talking to husbands and dads. And I'm talking to wives and mothers. And I'm talking to children. I'm talking to brothers. I'm talking to sisters. I'm talking to grandparents. I'm talking to aunts. I'm talking to uncles. I'm talking to family, friends. Each and every one of us is in a position to lead our house. Every one of us is in a position to influence our houses from generation to generation. And we can't sit by and wait for someone else to fill that role. If that role needs to be filled, we need to fill it. The need is urgent. It can't wait. All of our houses need fathers and mothers and children and brothers and sisters and grandparents and aunts and uncles and family friends to be me and my house leaders. And you may be thinking, this is all well and good, but that ship has sailed. I've already missed my opportunity, and I want to tell you that's not true. Although the need is urgent and it can't wait, it's not too late. So your house may have a leadership void. There may not be a me and my house leader in your house. But you can change that. In fact, you must change that. You must change that for God's sake. You must change that for your sake. And you must change that for your house's sake. For this generation and for the generations to come. So my plea to you this morning is, won't you step forward? Won't you make that commitment? Won't you follow in the steps of Joshua and also in the footsteps of Jesus Christ? And won't you this day decide that you and your house 
will follow the Lord. And we want you to know that this church and its people and its leaders want to help you be that kind of leader. We'll help you be a me and my house kind of leader. We want you to know that if we can help you in any way with that, we want to know what you need. We want to know how we can help. You can let us know in a few different ways. We are going to stand up and sing an invitation song in a moment. You can walk to the front and let us know that you're ready to make that commitment and you need help, and we will use all of our resources to help you do that. If you'd rather, you can make your way to the back. A couple of our elders will be in room 107. You can have that conversation with them. Or you can simply talk to any of us. You can talk to any of the ministers here at Netherwood Park or any of the elders here at Netherwood Park or a trusted friend at Netherwood Park and let them know that you need to fill that void in your house and we will help. Whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand up and together we sing this song.